Hello, I'm Felix, and welcome to You Gotta Hack That, the podcast all about the security behind the Internet of Things. In this episode, I'm going to talk to you about fire detection and response systems. Fire systems in all their forms have been around for ages, and they've been gradually getting more sophisticated over that time. They started off as that singular manual loud bell that you'd have to run out to the courtyard or go outside or whatever, and then ring it to be able to get people's attention and then get them safe. They then became electrified, and that meant that you could have lots of bells in lots of places, and maybe even lots of buttons in lots of places to let people know that there's a fire, rather than just having one place to set off the alarm. People then realised it would be useful to know roughly where they needed to look to deal with any potential fire, uh, or you know, determine whether there's a fault, and so they became zoned. And that meant that you'd have lots of network legs, that you would have uh, different parts on. And when that particular leg of that network responded to the control panel and said, there's a problem, it would flag up that it was that zone. People then wanted more of the same concept. And instead of it being a zone, they decided actually every single part, all the sensors, all the buttons, all that kind of thing, they all needed to be addressable. And so that you could tell exactly which part was at fault or which was causing the alarm. This meant that we finally had a proper like network, as most people would think of them today. Modern fire systems are either open protocol or closed protocol, and this has a subtle but important different meaning than it does in the rest of the tech industry. In this instance, instead of it being like open source and, and that kind of grand term, it's in fact more likely understood as being interoperable or non-interoperable you know can these components actually talk to each other and work together even if they're from different manufacturers or they're being looked after by different service providers the most common communications protocol in use uh, is something called backnet and this is one of the examples of an open protocol uh, backnet stands for building automation and control and originated in about 1987 it does more than just give fire services, though. It's actually designed for all building automation purposes. So this means you know, everything from fire detection and response to being able to call a lift down, or perhaps it's about closing the shutters on a, a shop front. The protocol specification is behind a paywall, uh, which is a little bit at odds with that open concept. But to be honest with you, not many people will want to read it anyway, because it's about 1,300 pages. BACnet defines application and network layers. Everything else is below that and is done elsewhere. So that means the data link layer and the physical layer. In practice, what that means is that BACnet can actually be delivered over lots of different protocols that are below that. So that means you know you can do BACnet over IP, which is pretty common, and you can do BACnet over Ethernet, and then RS-485, which is like a serial protocol, and then you can also do it over wireless technologies like Zigbee. BACnet should be thought of as being a little bit like Modbus, but arguably much more refined, and it's absolutely aimed at building. So it's, it's got kind of design and intent in that particular direction, rather than it being fairly atomic, and you can just kind of give it data values, and you have to know the context of those values to be able to take advantage of them. So why would anybody bother being interested in the cybersecurity of a BACnet fire system? Well, 
I guess for any of these systems, you'd probably want the kind of very disruptive nature of it if you were trying to attack it. So you could be able to trigger the fire alarm, or maybe you'd be able to trigger the fire alarm or other events, depending on how it's all connected together, that would then happen as a result of a fire going off or independently. So say you did set off a fire alarm, you might well find that then a load of smoke blankets came down or the shop front shutters closed or the doors unlocked and and that's quite a crucial one that last one because in its fail-safe design if you set off a fire alarm then any electronic door locks in theory unless you know specifically designed otherwise would unlock and therefore you might well be able to get into a place while everyone else is trying to get out and that's another important factor is maybe it's not the building you're interested in or the contents of the building. Maybe it's the people who go to that building and use that building that you're interested in. And so therefore you'd potentially combine that with another attack of a different sort. So today I'm going to consider the vulnerabilities of BACnet and that's because it is the most prolific one out there. Um, BACnet as a whole is unencrypted and that means you can do things like replay attacks and communications data manipulation. Now, just to kind of touch onto that a little bit more in depth, replaying a particular message over a communications protocol can be quite damaging. So if, for instance, you were in a position to capture a message saying that a particular zone had set off a, a fire alarm trigger, then what you could do is replay that message at a later date and therefore influence whether or not the fire alarm was going off irrespective of whether the sensor thinks that there's a problem. So that's a classic replay attack. But this can happen in lots of different ways. It doesn't have to be just that particular example. You can use replay in terms of authentication. You can do it in terms of um, trying to pollute data and all sorts of different uh, angles. The communications data manipulation is another interesting factor here. So if you are a, an appropriately positioned attacker with a man-in-the-middle condition on that BACnet network, then you might well be able to change the value of the communication between a sensor or a, a device in the BACnet network and the, the controlling station, uh, the, the, the manager as it's known. What that means is you'd be able to, say, prevent an alarm from being triggered because you change the message type or you make it invalid um, so that it's a, a corrupted message as far as the manager unit is concerned. The other thing I'd like to bring to people's attention is because BACnet can run over IP and over Ethernet and all that kind of stuff, is that then means it is possible to run BACnet on the same network as your general IT infrastructure. Now, my big advice is, is don't do that. That sounds like a silly idea to me for a lot of reasons. But basically, you know, that would allow an attacker who's got a footprint on a, a normal PC to potentially influence your, your fire alarm. Those who are a little more experienced might well turn around at this point and say, well, actually, BACnet isn't just unencrypted. Now that is true of the, the classic versions. However, there's something called BACnet over Secure Connect or BACnet SC. And, and this is because what you have now is an option at the data link layer to have encryption. Now this is designed and defined in addendum 135-2016-BJ, Bravo Juliet. And that is uh, how quite a lot of the information about BACnet is available without paywall uh, restrictions. 
because you can kind of reverse engineer what the standard would have looked like with all of the addendums. You just have to work out which addendum you're interested in. The addendum goes on to specify quite a lot around the encryption capabilities of this. So first of all, it's using TLS uh, and TLS WebSockets in particular. Uh, it defines that it's mutual TLS and specifically specifies version 1.3 of TLS and that it must use certificate chaining. And these are all the cornerstones of doing really good cryptography as far as ComSec is concerned for modern systems, you know, like, like the stuff you would see when you were using a web browser or using your smartphone to access Google or whatever. That's the same tech there as in this system, which is pretty good. It does also go on to define the fact that there's a difference between operational certificates and manufacturer certificates, and this is potentially a bit of a problem. So operational credentials, those certificates, are the ones that get used when it's communicating, when each device is communicating with that, that manager node. But the manufacturer ones are those that are designed for maybe instantiating the device, getting it up and running and, and set up, or perhaps it's for um, the service provider to be able to go in and communicate with the device and reconfigure it. That leaves the problem set of there being a standardized single certificate that gets used on you know potentially hundreds of thousands of devices worldwide. If that were to get leaked, then suddenly that's no longer secure and, and no longer used. And what we don't know is whether or not the protocol implementation, because this is going to be device specific, will be clever enough to be able to differentiate between the operational credentials and the manufacturer credentials if it's presented with a message which looks valid but is used with the wrong credentials. That would you know, clearly be a bad thing, but absolutely possible if they have not implemented it correctly. And that sort of implementation detail is not likely to be in a standard the other thing around this is that it's unclear whether or not the certificate management would be done well. It doesn't define this, and in fact, it kind of shies away from this. It says that this is a site-specific requirement and that, uh, you know, that the implementation must dictate how certificate management is completed. Now, certificate management is really important when it comes to this sort of asymmetric cryptography, because if you slip up doing the certificate management, then you suddenly have either an an inoperable network or you have one that is compromised because the attacker's got the wrong part of the certificate keys or it's able to impersonate another device or, or something along those lines. So certificate management, super important, and it just simply doesn't specify that. It's also unclear if it's possible to run a mixed network. Uh, now, there's the references to older networks being able to do uh, different types of networking on different legs of that backnet network. However, if it's possible to do both SC, so the secure connect stuff, as well as the like, non-secure connect stuff, or the unencrypted stuff in the same network, then that implies that there might well be some fallback vulnerabilities where you can tell the manager device or one of the, the end devices that actually we're not using the secure connect anymore. Let's go back to this version and therefore have unencrypted communications again. That is, again, probably implementation specific, but it's simply just not mentioned within the standard. So what do I think? Well, actually, in this instance, BACnet appears to be fairly well thought out. Now, that doesn't mean it doesn't have challenges. We've talked about a few of those, uh, but those challenges probably suffer, uh, probably come from 
the fact that most standards, when they're defined, suffer from not quite knowing where to draw the line. And that's really common when it comes to difficult stuff like cryptography issues. And and hence why we've got them here, because, well, actually, how do you define how to do certificate management in a sensible way? It's a, it's a difficult thing to get right when you've got traditional tech, never mind something that is as specific as this. And so it's really important to understand that those sorts of issues plague lots of different standards. It's not specific to BACnet particularly. It just means they've not managed to fix it either. The other thing I'd like to point out is that BACnet appears to be in active development, which is quite a nice, refreshing thing, really, because a lot of these technologies, like we saw with Modbus, look like they've gone a bit stale to me. Now, that might not technically be true. However, they're just not actively pushing and developing and and finding new ways of producing good solutions and good tech ideas. Whereas BACnet, they definitely are. There's loads of addendums. They're constantly being um, outputted. And when you look at the history of it, it looks like about every four years, there's a new version. So that's everything for today. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the show and you found it useful. Please give the show a rating or review in your podcast app. Tweet about it, post it somewhere, stick it on LinkedIn. We'd really appreciate it. To talk to us about any aspect of the show, suggest a future topic, or to ask a question about IoT security, please get in touch via email on helpme at yg.ht with at gotta underscore hack via Twitter or searching YGHT or you gotta hack that on LinkedIn.